Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Salt Talks. My name is Rachel Pether, and I'm a senior advisor at Skybridge, as well as being the MC for Salt, a thought leadership forum and networking platform that encompasses business, technology, and politics. Salt Talks is a series of digital interviews with some of the world's foremost investors, creators, and thinkers. And just as we do at our physical Salt events, we aim to provide our audience a window into the minds of subject matter experts. Now today, we're going to be focusing on women founders in tech and the democratization of venture capital. And I'm very excited to be speaking to a dear friend of mine, Nisa Moyles. Nisa is many things. She's a venture capital investor, a securities lawyer, a board member, and a former entrepreneur. She authored the bestseller, WTF is Happening, Women Tech Founders on the Rise. And she's a regular panelist on business channels, as well as a contributor for Forbes and Blockchain Magazine. She holds a business degree from the University of Michigan and a law degree from the University of Pennsylvania. So Nisa, welcome to Salt Talks. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. So nice to see you. Now, I apologize for profusely summarizing your biography. So maybe we could start by just giving me a bit more background about you and who you are. Absolutely. So I've been in venture capital for the past 10 years. For the past five years, I've been investing almost exclusively in fintech and blockchain and crypto companies. Prior to getting into investing, I, as you noted, um, had a stint as an entrepreneur. I also worked in media under Barry Diller um, at his, what was started as NBC Universal and then became Interactive Corp, IAC. And back then we were investing in the first wave of internet disruption um, as to how we communicate, as opposed to now we're investing in the internet of trust or value. And uh, yes, I practiced securities law um, for a number of years before getting into media. And that background has been extremely helpful in terms of investing in um, financial services and crypto. Great. And I want to come back to that point you made about the, the internet of trust or value. But before we do that, you did author this book, uh, WTF is Happening, Women Tech Founders on the Rise. And I know you're very passionate about women and technology, and you spent a number of years researching and writing this book. Maybe you could talk me through, I guess, A, the process for that, and B, what were some of your key findings from that book? Absolutely. When I got into venture capital, I noticed that female founders were only getting 2% of the venture funding that was available. And it just didn't make sense to me. And I saw all these great female founders that were building in hard tech or disruptive tech, uh, areas like artificial intelligence, virtual reality, robotics, and in particular blockchain, because I focus so heavily there. And so I saw them outperforming. I actually see diverse teams always outperforming. And I thought it was an investment opportunity to bring to light. And so the book profiles 13 female founders in those areas, but really what it does is makes the business case for investing in them with a lot of data about how they outperform 
and they're undershopped, undervalued, yet they over-deliver. And to me, it was an arbitrage opportunity for investors in addition to the moral imperative argument, this is a real economic argument as well. And so the findings really were um, that you don't need to have a STEM degree to go into these areas, um, science, technology, engineering, math. Um, you can tangentially learn along the way. You can start companies. You know, I wanted to profile the women so that they could be role models for other women that were coming up in, in later generations. And that as long as you're passionate, you have grit, um, the timing is right, um, the market size is right, um, you can really have some great winners here. So that was, uh, that was also meant to disrupt a bit of the systemic barriers that hold uh, women back in terms of fund management and um, access to capital, access to opportunities. And that is, that is what I wanted to try and change. And that, that is ultimately what led me to blockchain technology as um, an agent of change for democratization of access to capital. And so when you started writing or researching the book and you mentioned the tiny percentage of fun, um, funding that went to women founders, how long ago was this that you started the process and how have you seen or how has that number changed since that period? I started writing the book in 2018. It came out in March, 2019. And since we've had the pandemic, I have seen the number of women drop. Um, the funding that goes to female founders has gone even lower. Um, and I think this has been well publicized is that a lot of women have had to drop out of the workforce because of childcare and other uh, issues. And so that, uh, yeah, we're, we're going backwards instead of going forward. Yeah, it's definitely one of, another one of the unfortunate um, side effects of the pandemic. I, I do want to go back to the points you made around access to capital and democratization and move to what you're focusing on now with, with A100 times and the focus there really being on democratizing finance. So can you talk me through exactly what this is and then also go into why is it so difficult for the average investor to access venture capital? Absolutely. So A100X Ventures is a venture fund. It's a rolling fund that we've done with Angelus, which means that each series in the fund can be viewed as its own fund individually, where um, investors in the fund can have more optionality in the quarters that they subscribe to and in the amounts that they subscribe. Angelus serves as a back-end service provider for everything. That normally you would have a fund administrator, an auditor, a lawyer, etc., and they handle it one-stop shop, which makes it easier for everybody. It's it's like they've automated the fund process. And that allows you to lower the barrier to entry while it's still right now um, limited to accredited investors. Those laws are also 
changing and expanding. In fact, in the U.S. yesterday, um, they raised the amount of Reg CF to five million from one million for unaccredited investors to invest in these types of things. So. That's very encouraging. They brought in the definition of what an accredited investor is so that it's not only based on your wealth, it's also based on your sophistication and knowledge. So I think the trend is that uh, we're, broaden we're broadening the access. Angelus just facilitated that. And we are able to offer women and minorities access to the fund at a very low minimum that would not normally be possible. What that does is it allows them to learn about blockchain and crypto and all the other digital assets and the applications there. And it allows them to participate in that wealth creation opportunity, which I personally believe is one of the biggest of our lifetimes. And they've been traditionally left out of it. If you look at all the lists of, of who's invested and who's, um, you know, the Forbes list of, you know, there's no women on it. So uh, we want to be able to change that through this vehicle and offer that opportunity. Yeah, that's great that it can be used as an educative resource as well, because there's really nothing better than actually trial and error, I guess, when it comes to investing. So that's great. People can dip their toe in. And you mentioned that it's easier for women and minorities on the investor side. Do you have any particular diversity focus on the investing side as well? We don't, we're not saying that we're a gender lens fund, meaning that we invest in men. Of course, we, if you look at the companies we have invested in, many of them are started by men, but because it's private equity and venture capital, so much of it is about your sourcing and your networks. So because I'm part of so many groups, women's groups, women in blockchain, et cetera, by definition, I'm getting, um, you know, female founders coming to me, uh, whereas a lot of times they don't know where else to go. Um, so yes, we will be investing in women and minorities as well. Great. And I want to just go back to one of the points you made at the very start when you're talking about this internet of trust and value and dive down a bit deeper into blockchain um, and Ethereum. And I know you're very passionate about these technolog technology breakthroughs. What has been, in your opinion, the real value that's been created through this digitization of finance? Yeah, so you, I think you're seeing waves of innovation right now. And it started with the ICOs and um, the run up in crypto prices, Bitcoin, Ethereum, especially this year, as you've seen the institutional stampede finally come in uh, one after the other, uh, a traditional Wall Street. So uh, most of the headlines go to the disruption of traditional finance and um, decentralized finance. And those are great innovations. Um, there is no question that they, the technology is making um, antiquated systems. You know, you have T plus two settlement, for instance, still. Um, you know, it's making it much more um, transparent, efficient, automated, and liquid. Um, so, of course, tokenization and um, of illiquid assets 
will continue to happen. Uh, however, what's not as well publicized is the use of the technology in other industries, in other areas of disruption that have real impact solving real world problems. And that's a lot of what we wanna focus on at A100X is for instance, the pandemic has exposed a lot of different problems with our supply chains being just in time with our healthcare system, whether that be data and tracing and privacy issues and identity, or whether that be coordination of clinical trials around the world um, to save money and time, or whether that be vaccination rollout and distribution, right? So there are so many different areas of healthcare alone that um, can use the technology to solve some of those problems. Uh, on the other hand, there's so many different areas of climate change that can benefit from the technology as well, such as carbon credit offsets. Um, there are areas of legal title uh, insurance um, that are being disrupted using the technology, for instance, automobile um, total loss claims that um, can be expedited from 50 days down to one day using the technology and from paper systems from the 1970s. And then that gets rid of cars that are sitting in landfills um, and it creates a better land use uh, situation. And so that's almost a secondary effect uh, that has impact. Um, so we're very interested in sustainability, ESG, SDGs, impact, and we're always looking to align with founders that have that same mentality and that can use the technology for good as well. That's great. And on the, um, on the healthcare side that you mentioned, what would be some examples of technology that would improve either that supply chain or that process? Have you looked at one specifically? Yes. So as I mentioned, the clinical trials, um, redu reduction of cost and coordination of uh, efforts that are going on around the world that involve many different stakeholders where blockchain technology can be used to coordinate and track, you know, any kind of, um, it's immutable, right? So, so the records can be uh, secure and they can be um, not tampered with, et cetera. Um, the supply chain example that's often used is, is about our food um, and the provenance of where that is coming from. If you eat something and you get sick, you know, where, what, what countries did it stop in? What was the origin? Who touched it? Um, you know, you, you can feel secure and safe that when you go to your local supermarket and it has a verified organic label um, that's trackable with a code that, that gets you on-chain data, um, that's a huge breakthrough in terms of, of where things are coming from. And that, that applies to medical devices as well, um, or any kind of supply chain distribution efforts, um, vaccines, et cetera. Mm, and you mentioned when you were talking about some of the examples about it's not always sort of a primary impact in terms of ESG, but there's often, I guess, secondary 
impacts as well. So maybe you could tell me a bit more about what impact looks like for you and how you sort of define it and consider it when you're looking at investments. Right. So that was the example about the second order effects of the land um, usage happening from title insurance. Um, Another example is a company we're going to invest in that's providing climate data to real estate developers and insurance companies based on artificial intelligence and blockchain. And they will be able to predict based on the patterns that are happening where um, some weather-related effects might occur. And that gets priced into the transaction. Um, so that is something we consider impact. That, that um, is, you know, anything that's trying to help the world um, solve these, some of these real problems and, and make the world a better place um, can be defined as impact. I think that's an, an excellent definition. And then if you sort of take all these, these big themes and the things that you're passionate about, so diversity and, and blockchain technology, how can blockchain and technology be used as a tool for diversity? Exactly how we're using it and also through security token offerings. Um, to give you an example of that, there, uh, a few years ago, there was um, a transaction with one of the trophy properties, uh, real estate prop- hotels um, in the world. And they tokenized part of the hotel. And that investment was made available to any accredited investor as opposed to the insiders working on real estate private equity that it would normally go to. And that allowed them to have investors from around the world. And it allowed accredited investors to get in at a very low access point. And through tokenization, after your one-year lockup, you can trade that token on exchanges. And what I've seen in the three years since is that um, I did invest and that token has appreciated in value despite the pandemic. Um, trading very well. And I, I, I consider that a success because it's a wealth creation opportunity that went to somebody like me that would not have had access to it before. And I think that trend is going to continue and allow unaccredited investors some access as well that we're, we're seeing that um, with the Reg CF and Reg A+. But I think um, it wouldn't have been possible without blockchain technology before. And so there are uh, also um, alternative ways to raise capital and capital formation that democratize the process. So for founders that go to access venture capital that normally cannot access it, they can use these different tools to raise capital and that's exciting. No, that's very exciting. And it's interesting you mentioned the example of trophy hotels as someone who you know, moved to the Middle East to work for a sovereign wealth fund in 2008. I think pretty much at that point, Middle East sovereign wealth funds own most of the 
the kind of trophy hotels globally. So it's good to see that opening up a little bit as well. Uh, I would really like to touch on, you know, I've been reading a lot recently. I think Robinhood, you know, made an announcement about X percent of Robinhood customers are now female. Um, With all the work that you're doing in sort of gender diversity and, you know, the writing that you're doing with Forbes, et cetera, what have been some of the findings on women's participation in the cryptocurrency markets themselves? I just saw that same statistic, actually, that um, more women are trading in crypto than ever before, which is brilliant. And it's a factor of um, partly, you know, Robin Hood phenomenon is is the lockdown and and people are looking for alternative forms of um, entertainment, say, and they're they have more time, maybe they're they're reading more and they're self-learning and they're experimenting, which is great. And then, you know, we've seen um, in the US these stimulus checks and, and the correlated run up in crypto prices. So you know that um, people are putting part of their stimulus checks into crypto. And so that um, I think the, combination of the education and the time um, has allowed more women to get into trading crypto and and part, participate in that wealth creation. It's interesting. You're actually, I think, about the fifth person this week who's used Robinhood and entertainment in the same, in the same sentence. Um, I'd, I'd just like to ask a few questions. On the capital raising side, I know that you were – uh, you know, you used to work in a venture capital or you used to work, um, you were an entrepreneur previously. Were you involved in the fundraising process and was it sort of the struggles from you personally that led to you really wanting to help democratise this industry or has it? were you more looking at it through the lens of an investment perspective? Yes, it is both. It is... Um for female fund owned funds, um, there are, I think 90% of them are very small um, or, you know, other than a handful. Um, and they go through this process of being part of emerging manager programs, whether that be of pensions or um, sovereign wealth funds or endowments. And there are a lot of barriers to getting through their systems, right? You have to be a certain size fund to um, participate with them and it's hard to get from A to B. So, uh, and, and the number of women fund managers in general, I think is about maybe five or 7%, it's very small. And that, that's the trickle down effect that um, if there were more and running funds, they would invest more in female founders and those female founders would grow up and, and go public. And, and then the cycle, they would have wealth to create and invest more. So that kind of cycle would continue. And so it's very hard to um, kind of wait for those systems to change because it could take decades or, or hundreds of years by some calculations. 
And so part of the process is really de-risking emerging managers for these institutions. And by the same token, allowing more um, women and minorities to be able to incur the expense and take the risks of entering into fund management. Yeah, and I think you made an important point before, you know, it's not just some fluffy duffy feel good factor here. There's actually a bona fide underlying economic data to support this as well in terms of, you know, returns and things like that. Right, exactly. And if people would pay attention to the data and believe the data, then why wouldn't they want to invest there? Right, the, everybody is seeking returns first. So, so why wouldn't you? And do you think that comes from sort of subconscious biases? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> it was actually an open-ended question, but I'll, uh, <laughs> I will take that as a response, <laughs> as a, a very succinct one-word response. Um, and also just to, you know, I guess, sort of, close I'd really be interested you know you've been you've had such a variety of experience and you know you've worked on both sides of the fence and also been a, a lawyer when you're looking like within within the fund A100X what are you most excited about seeing over the next 12 or 24 months and what would success look like for you? Yeah so we like to think that we're pre-hype investors. And, and my partner, Alex, who spent 15 years as a technologist at Goldman Sachs, likes to always say that, um, you know, there are so many different uh, companies that don't even need a blockchain or AI that are, you know, tagging it onto uh, them. We like to decipher the wheat from the chaff there. Um, we think, I mean, he, he seeded a company called Dapper Labs three years ago, and now it's worth $2 billion um, in the NFT space, which of course you must be reading about because it's, it's hard not to. Um, now that's blown up. So we, we like to get in before that happens. And we really think that the next wave of innovation is going to come um, with this ESG lens and impact lens that we're um, seeing these real world use cases um, happen. That's not to say we wouldn't uh, again invest in, in a blockchain based gaming company. We have and, and we would um, be opportunistic as well um, or in you know, financial services or, or in um, other kind of disruption. But we really do believe that the world is trending towards um, solving some of these issues that really have been brought to light this year and that so many different governments are trying to use technology to do that now. And so that's really going to be where we see these, this next wave in two years time. We hope to participate now, get in early, have great returns for our investors, um, and then you know, continue to make positive impact. Fabulous. Well, I really hope we can get you back on in a year and, you know, see where you are in that evolution. And I was just thinking we actually met just over a year ago in at an alternative investment summit in the Cayman 
Ireland. So here's hoping we can actually meet again in person as well. I can't wait for that, Rachel. I'd love to. Perfect. Thanks so much for your time today, Nisa. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much.